I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. Time for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks and your designated driver. Now, it could be you're new to the show. Nice to have you aboard. Mind the interdimensional rift. (laughs) But uh, if you've been here before, you know the drill by now. We're the same irreverent, eclectic show for everybody. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading, or listening along to the adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show. All opinions are encouraged and heard, and there may even be a laugh or two along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey together here with us on Type 40. Yes, welcome back to the show, everybody, for another one of our deep dive review shows. Can't wait to get started on this one. We're going to the past two or three times over with this particular edition of the show to talk about an episode from 2005, following on from our reviews of both Rose and The End of the World, It seemed only fitting to round that off with that third episode, the one that kind of sealed the deal, that ticked another one of Doctor Who's uh, very particular boxes when it came to bringing the show back to the mainstream back in 2005 for Series 1, those really exciting heady days. And here to discuss it with me, well, it's a problem. There's nobody here at the moment. So I'm going to... uh, Well, I've got my glass here, and uh, I'm going to place that down on the disc my finger on the top, that's how you do it, isn't it? And say, is there anybody there? And see if I can reach anybody from, from the other side, ideally. Could be a uh, another dimension altogether, where, wherever the unknown lies. Or it could, it could more likely be uh, in Battersea, in London. <laughs> For a chat with my mate, the Mega Geek, Ian David Sears. Hello. Hello, my friends. Did you like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how, you, how are you doing, then, all right? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. The last time we spoke, 
in our time stream. We can't speak for you guys out there listening or watching. The last time we spoke, mm. we were really sort of het up with all the news. And uh, it was it was a really intense 48 hours, wasn't it? And so it's good to kind of cleanse the palate and maybe sort of reset our expectations by connecting with a, a proper chunk of Doctor Who and to pick our way through the script and what's on screen Absolutely. the way that you like the way that you like to. Go yeah, forensic. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we do we do our level best, don't we, to do as much proper thinking as we can. But um, <laughs> we've been designated an official who comes in and uh, and checks checks our thinking. That's right. <laughs> and make sure that we're sort of uh, we're on target, really. So we've got our official from the Department of Wendology. Hello. Hello, <laughs> Wendy. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on again. It's I'm going to have to get a, a proper sort of. A proper sort of uniform from the Department of Wendology. I think, yeah. uh, you need, I think, I think I'm going to have clipboard. to get this sorted. Yeah, <laughs> I have my clipboard, my pocket protector. I'm going to need it all. I was wondering. <laughs> I was trying to think what the word was for those things that the yeah pocket protector. Pocket. Yeah, very American pocket protector. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're going to be, going to be official. But, um, you know, Wendy, we've all got our, our wish list, haven't we, the things that we mm. that we wish for the character and the show. Have, have you got one that you'd like to share with us, one one little thing that you'd, you'd like to see, either brought back or something of influential from elsewhere in geek culture or from literature or from movies or, or whatever else that you'd like to see? What should they be looking at as a touchstone, as a brand-new touchstone for all new Doctor Who? I can only, off the top of my head at the moment, I can only say that having watched some of Russell's 2005 era now, again, there's a cinematic feel to those stories. And there's a, a magic, for lack of a better term, and I know it's not a very technical term, but there's a magic to, to how those stories leave you feeling and, and how, how easily you're swept away by those stories. So I think we definitely need a return to story over everything else really i mean a really good story uh that's well well produced and um looks good on screen but that has that real cinematic flavor that um russell gave it you know in that very first run watching watching each episode left you with this sort of afterglow didn't it it left you tingling anticipating the next one but sort of very satisfied and ready to enjoy the rest of your saturday evening too it was it was potent and it was powerful and it meant so much to so many people it certainly did and it meant um the absolute world to myself and to my husband darren i do miss those days you know and i'm not saying i'm not foolish enough to think that this is going to be 2005 all over again. Uh, we're a to- in a totally different place in the entire world where Russell, bless his heart, has been through so much, um, yet he still managed to to put out and produce these, just these amazing programs that still showcase the depth of his talents and his ability to really tell a fantastic story and to cast well. To cast well and to gather around him the cream of writing talent he had a great eye for for writers both established writers and people who were um sort of just starting out on their journey really and to give them a shot on doctor who and to work intensively with them on the show and it's one such episode we're going to be talking about this time this is the disclaimer we're well aware that none of these reviews that we casually go through here on this show are the first word on these adventures far far from it and they're not intended as definitive statements 
or, or judgments on them either. This is not a last word. This is just the latest word. And these are our feelings as we sort of connect, join the dots and recount some of the cream, really, of Doctor Who. And uh, before we get into that, it's only fair that I remind you that if you want to do some real time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, Everywhere. past, present, and future, <laughs> is available. Yes, it's out there, Ian, on the device of your choice. If you know where to look, you can stream or download us at type40.podbean.com. That's the uh, the official home of the Type 40 podcast. There, our dedicated feed, or we're across all the other podcasts. There'll be some more about all of that a little later on as well as when we make contact with the Matrix of All Knowledge, and that's our kith and kin on the Fandom Podcast Network, loaded up with all those other genre podcasts to fill your ears with on a daily basis. That's all taken care of. We can get stuck in, and uh, I can yeah, I can hit this. Back in 2005, this was how it went. Doctor Who was back. And already beginning to cast a spell, just as just as Wendy described so beautifully there, really, on the 21st century viewing public, there'd been two really breathless escapades from the from the pen, no, from the Mac. Pen sounds really old-fashioned. That sounds Victorian in itself, doesn't it? From the Mac of Russell T. Davis. And for the third week of series one, we got the first story from somebody else. Albeit to the the showrunner's blueprint. You know, Russell T. Davis did issue all the writers. Uh, loose but firm ideas about what he wanted and uh, I think that Mark Gatiss who wrote The Unquiet Dead was possibly the nearest candidate for a sure thing that you could possibly imagine for joining the squad for, for series one it was a surprise to no one to see him there and neither was the, the tone or the function of his first contribution uh, if, if anybody was um, guaranteed to set a new generation of, of kids dashing behind the sofa. It was probably Mark Gatiss, and this is effectively Doctor Who's stab at a zombie episode, isn't it? So it's, yeah, it's The Unquiet Dead, first broadcast on the 9th of April, 2005, and we've got a, a general synopsis here. The Doctor takes Rose back through time to 1869, but in Victorian Cardiff, the dead are walking and creatures made of gas are on the loose. The time travellers team up with Charles Dickens to investigate Mr. Sneed, the local undertaker. But can they halt the plans of the ethereal Gelf? Yes, if you haven't seen it for a while, that's the general lay of the land. This, as uh, as with all of Series 1, stars the mighty Christopher Eccleston, making a huge impact, even by this point, as the, uh, the solemn figure of the Ninth Doctor, along with Billy Piper as Rose Tyler, and a cast who I'm sure we'll get round to in a couple of minutes. So, yeah, Ian, mm. this episode, watching yeah. it again this time, how long it had, been, had it been since you'd seen it? Do you remember watching it the first time? And, and what, what sort of feelings had it left you then, left you with then? I do remember watching it the first time, and I have re-watched it. And this is one of the, one of the good ones of uh, uh, Chris's run. It was very much Doctor Who, wasn't it? Let's face it. I mean, that you know that uh, what is it, 18th century kind of stuff. It's always that always creep into Doctor Who. If I if I was in charge, if I was a showrunner, I'd never have an 18th century thing because I think that's done been done to death. And plus, they can go into the BBC's wardrobe and get all those costumes out. Do you know what I mean? They must have thousands <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. of costumes. Whatever. The, the, the thing the thing I wondered about 
and I, and you probably know more than me, Dan. When I okay. watched it, when the first time I watched it, and the, and the second time I watched it, I won the same thing. Smeed, right? Yes. Is he based on the character in in um, Peter Pan? Because he does have the the thing, you know, the character Smeed in Peter Pan. He has the oh, sideburn. Yes. He's Captain Hook's sort of henchman, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, not henchman, but but sidekick basically. But I was just thinking, do they call him Smeed because? And they actually gave him the sideburns as well, like the character in Peter That's Pan. So I was just I was just wondering whether there was a connection there, but I I, I don't know. I anyway, don't think so. so. I think he's more of a. Uh, I think he is more a standard. I mean, this mm. this entire episode really, it's it's how can I put this? You don't have to be Barry Norman to track <laughs> and trace where yeah. everything is feeding into this. Whether yeah. you're talking about the Romero zombie movies or mm. Hammer Horror or yeah. any of those Sherlock Holmes, it is all in there and so blatantly. And I think that all of the characters, and this is this isn't meant as any slight on it at all, Wendy. They are all, I don't want to use the word cliches, but they're all standards, aren't they? This is the, yes. um, this is the kind of Mr. McCorber figure, I think, that we get in Mr. Sneed. He's a typical Dickensian figure. Yes. Also, the Doctor was the Doctor in this, more so than the other two episodes, in, in my opinion. Um, I don't know what you, you thought, Wendy. Um, um, I, yeah, I agree. And I, I, I quite liked Eggleston's Doctor in this. He he felt more damaged. He felt more. I mean, even at his in his attempts at humor, didn't feel awkward because it felt like the doctor had he'd been through so much. You can tell by ago. some of the some of the comments he makes, um, like yes. when Dickens tried to get up from the seance or tried to get up and try to get out. And he said he tells him to shut up or something like that or or get yeah. out, or whatever. But then again, but then he apologizes to him, doesn't he? I'm really sorry he that does. I said that to you, doesn't he? Which character which is a really comes, nice nice balance. The, there. the character comes across as as we've started with the doctor. The character does come across mm. as you said, Wendy, as being very very tormented. The survivor's mm. guilt, doing what he can to save yeah. to save lives he couldn't save. All those lives, billions of lives, trillions probably during the time war, and here yeah. he is kind of effectively fighting small fires and, and making decisions which to him are probably quite small compared to the ones that he had to make during the time war and Correct, the run up to yeah. the time war, but to somebody yeah. like Rose, decisions and moral dilemmas that simply blow her mind as they would blow all of our minds. He obviously had been able to keep his sense of humour intact through a lot of a lot of his previous adventures because that was the one thing that I always loved about like Tom's doctor and and all of the doctors in some form or fashion always had a little you know I, I with except you know Hartnell was a very serious doctor but the others had a had a little twinkle in their eye you know they still had that that inner child was still running free within them and and Eccleston you know was the first time that, you know, I can remember feeling that the doctor had, he was really in a bad way. He'd been damaged and yet he was still out there trying to fight for for humanity and, and, and wanted to be there and help. But as Dan said, he was only fighting small fires now and to him, they were, they were just so, they were nothing. They were so easy to sort of try and sort out that redemption, even he, redemption, exactly. But even he sort of rushes to judgment with Gwyneth, doesn't he? He, he does. He assumes that that's yes. going to solve the problem. But then Rose is trying to tell him, well, wait a second now. You know, she's mm. a human being with her own her own rights. But, of course, Gwyneth 
thinks that she's doing right as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I really did like this episode. I like the idea that they try to scare you. You know, try mm -hmm. to go back to the old 70s Doctor Who and try to scare you with the zombies. Well, we call them zombies, but they weren't really zombies. And also, I like the idea that the Doctor was the cleverest person in the room, always. Yes. Yes. Anywhere they went, he knew what was going on before anyone. I mean, look, looking back to what you were saying about Mr. Sneed there, I mean, the, yeah. this character to me reminds mm. me of the kind of... Uh, the kind of grotesques that we used to get on the show in the Hinchcliffe era back in the mm. mid to late 70s. They're yeah. the kind of characters that Robert Holmes would have created. And mm. it, it particularly reminds me of a character called Joe Bell in uh, Colin Baker's story called Revelation of the Daleks. Yeah. But he's a softer version of that mm. character. It, there's several dilemmas, several, several moral questions in this story. And just like all good Doctor Who, what it does, it, it puts them out there and explores them from either side, mm. rather than offering us a definite statement about how we should feel. Sneed, yeah. for, ex Sneed for example, you know, is he exploiting Gwyneth, or did he save her life by taking her in when she was an orphan? You know, it, it's, mm. This episode never makes an actual specific judgment on that, because it's set during <laughs> to the mid-1800s. But it does illustrate it beautifully, the kind of situations, the kind of pressing concerns that, that were bearing on real people. I think it might be both. I think, um, uh, obviously, he's a bit of an idiot, this guy, because he didn't appreciate... Um, I can't remember her name now. What was her name? Gwyneth. Uh, Gwyneth. 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 He didn't appreciate Gwyneth. And also, Gwyneth has that power... You know, he, the sight. Use the yeah, sight. Yeah, the sight, yeah. And he in basically he's like, you know, he's still taking advantage of her. So he, he I don't know, I think it's it's in between. Also remember at that time is very different. Women were looked looked yes. down upon as well, and they had servants and stuff like that. So it's a very, very different time in, in, in those days. The doctor getting something wrong like that kind of leaves a bad taste in in me about this episode. That's the only wrong. Thing. So yeah, in your yeah. eyes, what did he get mm. wrong? Well, he got the whole thing wrong, didn't he? These things wanted to take over the world, <laughs> and he wanted to help. You know what I mean? He took so, them at his. He took them at their word. As though, a word, yeah, their and word. Is, and mm. is that is that wrong? Is that you know, that's that, what's um, up for debate, isn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, also he was uh, obviously berating Rose, wasn't he? Because yeah. when she was going, you know, that's not right. You're going to be using people's, you know, dead people's body. We have to respect them. And he's like, this is a different moral. Get used to it or get out. Which is a bit rude of him. You know what I mean? He's, he's prickly yeah. and to the point of being dickish at times yes. in this episode. Yes, but he because is. Just like when he said to, to Charles Dickens to shut up, but he does apologise. Yeah, he and, does. And I think it's, and I think that was a very canny move on, on the behalf of both Mark Gatiss and Russell T. Davis, whoever tweaked this script, because I know they were on it extensively together and mm. and that discussion between the doctor and rose even though it's you know it's not it doesn't go on and on and on and on because this is this is an adventure show and they want to sort of by that point even though it starts quite slow this episode by that point they start to step it up a lot it is an extension of various things that were said in the end of the world rose's perception of not just the universe and time and space, but of morality and what and the things that she thought that she believed, that's already being challenged in the end of the mm -hmm. world. And here mm -hmm. it's pushed on it's pushed on further. And for what I remember that would continue throughout throughout He's an ass because he because of what he went through. And I can accept that on the Chris Eccleston um yeah version of the Doctor. I can accept it, but I, I still don't like it, though. I don't like the feeling of going, oh, what, what a twat, like you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 I know, I know, well, I know. But, yeah. I, what, I, what I observed is that they're at opposite 
ends of the spectrum and yet they're helping each other because the doctor mm. is obviously damaged he's he's lost his um his his sort of softer side he's very hard and like you say he's a bit dickish at times as well but mm. but billy billy uh, rose is is on the other end she's learning to she's her whole universe her whole world and way of thinking is expanding and mm. she's trying to apply her very human values on a very uh in some cases very alien situation because even though this takes place on earth's past it's still an alien entity yeah. that they're dealing yeah. with so she's trying to apply human values to a situation that that actually did need some softening the doctor did need to start sort of widening his view of the situation he's in a very sort of angry place so he's not listening to her and he's just assuming that you you know i'm so i've i've done so much worse than this let's just to get this over with and and get it get it sorted yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that was very, very clever, you know. Mm. I love how he breaks it down for her and how he relates it to the to carrying a donor card. To, yes, that that is the decision. That is the decision that he is wrestling with at that time. That is the connection that he's making, and that is how he's trying to reach and communicate with Rose. Is sort of at that point, you know, because they they're just growing their relationship. It's very, very early, and later on in the episode. Even though he, he's not visibly seen to back down from that discussion with Rose, by the time it gets to the point where the Gelf are swirling around everybody's heads, mm. the, the Doctor does say this is a short-term solution. There was a, there was a scene, mm. so it, it goes to show he did, he did take some in of what Rose was saying. She yes. had not completely changed his mind or revolutionised his take on things, but I think he'd started to see that sort of grey area. There was yeah. a scene. There was a scene that was written for this episode, which wasn't recorded. What was going to happen was the Doctor was going to take Rose back to the TARDIS and materialise a transporter into the future, so she could see an Earth whereby these events would be carried through to their natural conclusion, and uh, where we would see a, a 21st century Earth that was a wasteland where the only uh, form of, mm -hmm. of movement of anything resembling life were human bodies walking about the surface inhabited by, by Gelf. That, mm -hmm. that was abandoned. You know, it's a riff on, on a, an idea from the classic series that we saw in Pyramids of Mars with the Doctor and Sarah Jane. Mm. And they felt that would sort of slow it down a little, a little too much, and and maybe freak people out a little, particularly the children. This early in Doctor Who's comeback, I think it would have been viable. And if ever this Mark Gatiss does turn this into a book, I would kind of like to see that. There's a great pre-title sequence, I feel, to this story. Yeah. The first totally yes. cold one that that we get, where, where this this guy. So this is Mr. Redpath. Who gets his uh, neck snapped by, <laughs> yeah. by his own deceased grandmother? There, uh, it's the it is the stuff of nightmares. It's deliciously macabre. It's the kind of thing you you expect from Mark Gatiss, and yeah. and he does it so well. I like which the way she walks towards the screen before the the opening yeah. credits start, and her eyes are glowing, and her mouth's open. Yeah, <laughs> you're going towards the screen, and then it cuts to uh, cuts to their TARDIS and uh, the, the vortex it and was, stuff like that. It was genius. It was real genius. So this this episode is a really good episode. There's nothing. There's nothing I can say that faults this episode at all. I mean, as I said, I do have a problem with getting used to the doctor being so rough with people and and you know and calling them monkeys and you know the 
this that the other but you know when it's saying that because of hindsight we we know that mm -hmm. he because of the war that he went through we know now why he's like that you know but when i first watched it i was like how rude do you know what i mean so yeah yeah, yeah. but i think with eccleston he's he's such an accomplished actor and he's got such screen presence that even mm. when he's pushing those limits of what what we're used to from the doctor mm. you you you're with him because you you trust him i mean he's the doctor and you think okay what yeah. happens in rose and this is the beauty of of what really good doctor who is to me mm. is that companion she or he you know whoever the companion is they're they're mm. sort of there as that they're they're our eyes but they're also there to temper the doctor and the, to throw him off kilter a little bit to make him think that little extra second before he takes an action because obviously he wouldn't be continuing to invite companions into the TARDIS with him. I love the idea that the cleverest man in the room could accept something that so doesn't doesn't make any sense you know like when they say we're gonna have a, a seance you know he knows that it's gonna work because he knows the power of of, of um uh, so, yeah. and also it always reminds me because when we didn't have Doctor Who there was um was Men in Black, and I don't know if you remember that scene yes. where um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones comes into the uh, interrogation room, and uh, Will Smith's there, and he says, uh, "He says, so what did you see?" And he, and he said, "His eyes was blinking." He goes, "Because he was out of breath." And then he goes, "What else did he say?" And he says, uh, "He says the world's going to end." And then Tommy Lee Jones looks at him and says, "Did he say when?" Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. like he ultimately <laughs> he believes like, him. Well, do you know what I mean? Yeah. The most ludicrous yeah. story ever, but he <laughs> actually believes him. It's the same for the Doctor in this as well. When you know, Charles Dickens was trying to get come to terms with what was going on. And the doctor knew, obviously, all of it was true. And he was trying to say to him, look, wake up, mate. You know, the world's bigger than you. Took me back to classic, this one. That's why I, I liked it so I much. I think it was very, very uh, classic. I think considering how breathless both Rose and the end of the world had been, this takes its time. It slowly winds us up. It concentrates on the fact that we, we've got this updated aesthetic. Mm. I know you're not a big fan of the interior of the TARDIS and the way that that's lit mm. and how so and how grimy it all looks. Mm. Uh, but but they do they they go into it with full conviction and they the TARDIS do. is sort of swaying from side to side. Uh, it's it's all very very evocative. And then to drop us in in Victorian London and to offer us Sneed and and Gwyneth there, they are I won't say they're a other oh, side of the coin of the Doctor and Rose. But here we have a a guy dressed in the Victorian costume obviously because he's a victorian mm. man with a young girl who is um who's in his care Gotta change your clothes and it's an echo of what doctor who used to be obviously mark gatis is a massive classic fan mm. and this was i would imagine i mean we i know several people who count this amongst their favorite of the entire russell t davis era people who've been fans during the classic time it's a great standalone and, and i think i think mm -hmm. this is why i think it because it, it has that middle ground between the classic sensibility and and the the energy and the speed of mm. new doctor who and obviously it would not remain in this place because we're at the beginnings of a journey here this is one of the reasons why the doctor and i hate to come back to this should be a man because in this episode he tells rose to change Otherwise, if she went out the way she was dressed, people would, you know, would, would be up in arms about it. But he didn't have to change. He changed his, he changed his, uh, what is it? His Empire. cardi. His jumper. His cardi. Yeah, exactly. He looks sort of indignant, doesn't he? Is it to say, you know, I look fine. I look but absolutely also, fine. The point I'm trying to make is, you know, if, if the doctor was a woman, obviously he'd, she would have to change her costume for this time period. If the doctor was black, there'd be a problem too. Ultimately, mm -hmm. 
the doctor is kind of a white guy <laughs> so he could work in all kinds of time time i zones. hadn't looked at it like that i'm not sure yeah. how much water that holds but i know what you're saying i did want yeah. to talk about this moment for a, a little little while though because obviously this is mm. rose's first trip back in time it is and yeah. when, that's i mean that's a wonderful bit of dialogue isn't it wendy where he sends her to find yes. the wardrobe room all on around next to the bins directions. yeah yeah that was a great next to, scene next to the bins where we've got the stuff to put on the tardis console that's who it is <laughs> yeah right there like ian's, ian's favorite like ian's favorite tardis console but um but yeah the no class, i love the it classic moments given given a given a tune up aren't they wendy yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are they are and and again it's something um you just said ian as well this definitely felt like classic doctor who to me because yeah. he he sent her back into the tardis you know down the hole you know it was kind of like a tom baker type feel yes. you know down the hall left turn right you know left left by the bins um and it was it was wonderful and then um rose's sort of excitement and and when she first sticks her foot out the, the tardis door and, and crunches on the snow you're right there with her because it's like i could you start imagining my god what would that feel like and you're right there with her and i think that that scene just works so well in the way billy played it and just the way it all sort of played out i, I love that scene hinted at a bit of romance because when she comes out he says oh my god you look beautiful and um for a human he, he yeah. kind of like you know switches switch, switches yes. gears doesn't he quickly when when he realizes what he's just said yes um, and and for better or worse um, it, you know, that that was the first hint. That was some of the, the early mm. hints that we had. Yeah. Um, but this first season really worked well for me, you know, uh, even right up right up to the last story mm. of this mm. season leading up to, to the kiss, because I think it, it wasn't, it, it didn't turn it into sort of Wuthering Heights to some degree, no, no. but it, but it, but it could be explained that he was ex he was taking that energy from her to save her life. Yes, taking it into himself because he knew he could regenerate, mm. but he knew it would kill Rose. Mm. But but Russell is a very he is he is very wise because he knew that a modern audience would would relate, especially new people coming into Doctor Who. He managed to, in my view, very successfully bring in new, new, new people that may never even have watched or been interested in science fiction to yeah. a story by yeah. adding those elements that were enough to sort of give everybody a little, like a, fa a family viewing, yeah, you know, enjoyment. All of that man's writing is a, is about about the connections between people. people. Yeah. Yes, and a connection between Doctor Who, the show, and the audience. That that's the most one of the most important things that people keep forgetting about um, about yeah, Russell T's writing. You know that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. The moment where we see Rose make her first uh, footstep into the yeah. past. It's right that they hover on that moment for a mm. few seconds and we see her looking down at her own foot and not quite believing what mm. she's about to do i think when it came to going into the future she could almost convince herself that it was a dream whereas here yeah. she sees imagery uh, and sights and sounds and maybe smells uh, and she's wearing costumes that she's on only ever seen in a book and yes. that, that, that's communicated with no dialogue whatsoever. 
it is a little contrived how they split mm. the Doctor and the Companion up yes, in the classic yeah, of way course, to send of them off doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth it when you get two scenes, such as firstly the scene between the Doctor and Dickens mm. in the cab that they flag down, and oh, then the one between I, I, and you know what? I love that scene. I love that scene like. where he goes, he goes, uh, you know, this is my cab. He goes, we, we'll get in then. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? yeah. That's so funny <laughs> where he just drags him in because this is his but, cab. You know? A lovely funny moment as well where, yeah. you know, where he's he's pouring praise on, on yeah. Charles Dickens, yeah. you know, and then the, the cab, the, the driver says, Do you want me to just stop and throw him out? And he goes, Well, yeah. no, no, he can stay now. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, this is Simon Callow. This actor. Another character actor, great British character actor. Yeah. Oh, it would have been a crime if Simon Callow hadn't have appeared in Doctor Who at mm. some at some point. He'd been on the shortlist for the TV movie. Well, I say a shortlist. It was a really long shortlist for the people that they were considering to play the Eighth Doctor back in back in '96. Seventy-two years of age now, Simon Callow, and in the '80s he had a breakout role in a sitcom on ITV called Chance in a Million. And also the movie. And in, the, in the time in between, yeah, he'd gone into movies very successfully, hadn't he? And you tell people the, uh, which movies. The famous one, one, which is um, a Four Weddings and a Funeral. Wasn't he Four Weddings and a Funeral? Did I get that yeah. wrong? No, no, oh, he, gosh, was, yeah, he was. Yes, four, he played. He played the funeral. <laughs> he played. <the> funeral. <laughs> Well, there's four weddings and then Shakespeare in Love. He yes, had yes, yes. Judy Dench, was it? You know, mm-hmm. I, think, I think after that, you know, parts, a, a film career, he started to carve that out quite successfully. Smaller character parts, but the Richard Curtis he's a, was absolutely the one that did the most for He's him. an old school actor. He knows his craft like yes. the back of his hand. He's one of those actors yes. that anything that's thrown at him, he will approach it in a professional manner. And and he would dive into the character and become that character. It's very rare these days yes. you find actors that are like that now. And, and he initially, uh, you know. he initially was reluctant to take this on, Ian, because he's uh, a real he's a real dyed in the wall Dickens mm. enthusiast and obsessive. In fact, he's played yeah. he played Dickens really? several times up until this point. He played him on stage. He may have even written some sort of book or article about Dickens, and he was mm. very concerned at how the character tended to be portrayed in popular television. And yes. so when they, yeah. when they went to him with this, basically with this children's series that was about to be brought back, he, he assumed it would be a very cod take on the character. And it was apparently mm. delighted by, by the script and more than happy to, to jump in. When, when he saw the quality of it and the and the care, the research, because Mark Gatiss is also a, a Dickens enthusiast. I've got a few words here, actually, from Mark Gatiss talking about how the episode came together. So back in 2004, when, when the writing was all, was all going on and Russell T. Davies was assembling his writer's room, so check this out. Mark Gatiss on The Unquiet Dead. And you pretty much immediately that there was going to be a sort of series bible and in the episode sort of uh, guide as it were each story had a, a, a small paragraph and um, one of them was about a Victorian story in Cardiff with Charles Dickens and uh, seances essentially and uh, I thought well I hope that's the one he wants me to do and hey poncho it was the best thing you can have as, as a writer is just suddenly a collision of ideas and I got very excited immediately I thought I know I can, I know what I can do with this uh, fake seances all the paraphernalia that that come with that originally it was set in a, in a what they used to call a spiritualist hotel which was a there would literally be a, um, a different medium on every floor and you could just you know, make your appointment and go and see them. And um, I thought it was a rather interesting idea to have all these fakes. Uh, and the, there was this 
big matronly medium called Mrs. Plumshoot, and she was a fake. And then on one floor there was a man called Sneed, who was the real thing, although he he didn't know it, but he'd, he'd been in contact with what he thought was uh, the dead, and in fact was uh, was this alien race. Wow, look how that developed. Well, that's interesting, <laughs> yeah. That, that took a few turns along the way. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Went through several the... titles, several working titles and several wow. versions of the same general shape of it. And it was Gatiss mm. that came up with the idea of it being set at Christmas too. That was something oh, I liked the idea. wanted mm. to do because of his fondness for I'm the M.R. James ghost stories for Christmas yes. that the BBC used to broadcast yeah. in yes. the 70s. And funny enough, since this episode was broadcast, Gatiss himself has kind of picked up that mantle and started making those ghost stories on, B on the BBC Four, I think, or BBC Two now maybe. Every Christmas he's usually the creative force behind that. But I thought it was nice to hear him speak about this because there's a lot of popular myths out there about the production process about how much russell t davis wrote how much he didn't how much control he had over it but yeah that he did issue them these sort of two-line statements charles dickens at, at a seance you know it's like oh, go 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 well I, I don't i don't know how they do it and i know in america when they're making a sitcom and they have all the writers in the table everybody's throwing jokes in and they were all laughing and the ones that make them laugh most, they, they actually make notes of it. I don't know how it works in England. I don't know whether he came up with that idea and then they had a, they had a big um, brainstorming session yeah. and then it ended up the way it ended up. I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe that's what happened. I don't know. I think it's time that we took a look on to YouTube and Facebook and the comments coming from the people in the chat, see what they've got to say about this episode. Simon Horton, the original Hunatic, one of Type 40's finest. He says, definitely one of the Ninth Doctor's best episodes, but the only good episode from Mark Gatiss for me. Mm. I agree. I agree. We have mm. a message calling from the Darren Zone on YouTube. It says, the pre credit scene is one of the best, pushing it as much as possible for 7 p.m. on a Saturday. Fantastic. Mm. Yep. The Jester says, I, I felt like this episode worked better than some of Nine Zero because it didn't have the frenetic pace of an episode like Rose or World War Three. That is true. I think mm. it frustrated some people, this, but it does, when it cranks up, it really cranks up, doesn't it, Ian? Yeah, it does. As I said, I really enjoyed this episode. And, I, I, you know, Simon Cowell's performance was absolutely brilliant as far as I'm concerned. And, and you know, and it's just, it's just a joy to watch, isn't it? This episode is just a joy to watch. So reminds me of classic. That's why I like this episode so much. We oh, here have, we go. We have yes, you're bringing, you're being brought up <laughs> on a couple of points here from from YouTube. Mega the extremist says, Ian, actually he wasn't the cleverest person in the episode. Sadly, Dickens mm. actually figured it all out. That's my one issue with the story. That is true. He did. He, well, um, he, he resolves the situation. Yeah, I would argue the out. point. The Doctor is the cleverest man in the room. Yes, um, Dickens came up and with the idea how to get rid of him. But then again, the Doctor was stuck in jail with, with Rose. So he, he couldn't do anything, could he? He was, he was stuck behind the door with, with Rose. So, you know, it was it, and I didn't mind if Dickens saved the day because I really liked that character. You know, I really liked it. Exactly. And it's an adventure yeah. in space and time. It's not all about the, this one swaggering hero going around yeah. getting everything right and always having the answer. I, I, I yeah. agree with that. And also, he, he, he 
has sorry one one second, he has a he has a he has a, a journey doesn't he dickens from not believing yes. then right at the very end being a coward as well wanting to run then right at the end and he, he he becomes he, be, he becomes alive that's what he says to them i'm yeah. now i'm alive again you know but Little it's the, know, it's yeah, also the die. same <laughs> it's, it's the same thing with the christmas yeah. carol that's yes. that's what I yes. loved about this. Yeah. It's got the classic Christmas Carol vibe. They even had the little touch where the Gelf are that's swirling right. around the door knocker door on knock. the outside yeah. of the, yeah. uh, which I thought was a wonderful little touch. Yes, yes, and, and 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 as I said, he's got a journey, so that's why he it was it was it was great that he saved the day because he realized there was more to life than his books and what he thinks. He thought he knew everything about life, as he says, yeah. but he didn't, did he? So. And he comes to the conclusion that he needs to save the day, and that's what he does. And if it wasn't for the doctor, he wouldn't be in a position to grow. Do you know what I mean? So, therefore, <laughs> I would say the doctor was still the cleverest man in any room. That's our team. Yeah, so. yeah well, he, he didn't just make the doctor a harsh character. He had an actor that he knew could play that edginess very, very well, quite naturally. But he gave him an appropriate backstory to mm. explain that. And then yeah. and it was just it was just all done so so well. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the fandom flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie and TV pop culture topics. Good Evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast. A deep dive into the final frontier with host Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at FanPodNetwork. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. What I liked about this is the fact that, um, and it's really early, really, really early in the new series, we get the idea that they, that they were supposed to go to one place, 
but the TARDIS has taken yes. them to another, taken them no. maybe where they need to go. It puts down seeds for so many things that are going to come uh, in the future. Yeah. But here on the night, it's just playful. It's that classic sensibility and the fact that the Doctor, he just goes with it and he says to Rose, oh, it's not Naples, it's Cardiff. And she, okay, but, but she joins him anyway. If he's, yeah. if he's up for it, then so is she. And they link arms and off into the, into the snow they go. Again, a simple message, simple companionship and the relationship between them growing her trust in him also re-establishing itself, underlining itself, however you want to look at it, and their relationship beginning to sort of grow and, and the, the adventure for mm -hmm. us really really sort of continuing, picking up where we Is left it off. Is this the first time we get those words, bad wolf? We hear it in the end of the world. Uh, the Mox of Balhoun says, well, Of course. What we, yes. what we are seeing is the Bad Wolf scenario. Yes. That was right. dubbed in afterwards, I understand. This uh -huh. was the initial first episode where we hear the words. Actually bad say wolf. it, yeah. And that mm. scene between, we mentioned it earlier on, that scene between Rose and Gwyneth, mm. there's so much in that. It's very, very funny. The, mm. uh, the differences between a 21st century 19-year-old and, and mm. one from 18, 1860. And they have a, a lot of fun with that. Again, beautifully written. Come to think of it, let's, let's lavish a little praise because this was the very first time that I ever saw Eve Miles on television. Yes. She's by and far one of my favourite actresses now because I remember seeing her in this and then when she eventually was in Torchwood, she, um, I mean, she could have easily carried that entire series. I thought, you know, I enjoyed all the actors in it, but, but she is such a brilliant, strong uh, actor um, and I'm going to sneak a little mention in that I think she would make um, a very good Romana mm. yeah I think she's got the strength of of personality to do it but that's another conversation mm. she is in, in, my, in my view she is one of the um, one of the most underappreciated actresses in the country absolutely that, that sounds really weird for somebody who's never off tv i mean i think yeah. since, since doctor who we've seen her in, in shows like broadchurch keeping faith you me and us that sitcom that she did with anthony head which i thought was delightful she was in a, a very british scandal the russell t davis show with hugh grant and ben wishaw she played a, a character that was so far removed from from uh, both gwyneth and gwen was worlds yeah. away a brilliant performance she was in victoria alongside jenna coleman she's done work for the for the uh, shakespeare national shakespeare company uh, lots lots and yeah. lots of uh, good solid stuff you know this is somebody who paid her dues and here she was she was only 26 27 when yeah. when she appeared in the unquiet dead and it's a, it's just a, a really warm relatable performance that um that stays mm -hmm. completely centered she's the she's the center of this and that bond that she forms with Rose in particular, that's where the feeling comes from. That's why, yeah. even though this story does start to move quite quickly in the second half and, and the stakes really escalate and, and this servant girl from the 1800s is put in a situation where she's got to make some really big decisions, but it works because Eve Miles inhabits the part so, so wholly. Something you said earlier, um, Dan, about uh, Simon Callow, in as much as he throws himself into those roles that he, he plays, I observed that with Eve Miles as well. When you watch her act, she is just, she has become that character so thoroughly that you can forget completely 
that she's just an actor playing a role. She really, really inhabits those characters so beautifully. And when I was watching her in Keeping Faith, particularly, um, she was, uh, again, just throws herself into the role. Um, so definitely one of the most um, impressive actors I've ever seen. Rose goes to great effort, doesn't she, Ian, to, to relate to her, to... Well... To kind it's, of, and she patronizes her, doesn't she? She and Gwen well, calls her up on it. She Gwyneth, sorry, calls her up on it. She recognizes the fact that she's being slightly patronized. Even in the last episode, Rose has got to be the human, um, you know, within the situation. So Rose quickly makes friends with her, has connection. Same thing with the um, the woman that was repairing the lift or something like that in the last episode. Yeah, you know, she, 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 yeah, she makes, she makes connection there because that's for the audience. So that's for the audience to connect to Rose fast. And yeah. uh, as I said, Russell T's a really good writer. You know, we, we don't know anything about Gwyneth, but that, that conversation between those two actually connects you as, as a viewer to the actual adventure itself. If, if she wasn't there, yes, the doctor would be running around, but you wouldn't have, you wouldn't, your, your um, brain and your, um, and yourself wouldn't be so invested in the episode if it wasn't for Rose. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's good that that Rose is like that because it, it drags the audience into the adventure even more so, in my opinion. As an actress, she's okay. I, I don't really find her any anything special at all. I've seen her in other stuff. I think she's okay as, as an actress. She's obviously in there with the um, with the actors' crowds because she's been <laughs> in TV quite a lot, you know. Yeah, the, right. They say that, uh, you know, if you're not, that if you're not part of the lucky, was it 4,000? You're not getting a job, so she's that part of the lucky. That's an actor saying. Since we've come to that, Ian, I wanted to ask yeah. you because as the mm. episode really gets deep into the more geekishness and the sci-fi elements start to yeah. come about, you know, they gather together for the séance, don't they? And mm. these the alien beings do show themselves uh, through through Gwyneth. Yeah, this for me is where the director of this story is Euros Lin, and mm. although I'd liked I'd liked what we'd seen on screen up. Up until this point, the color palette and all the rest of it. Here, I think, is where we see a lot of creative touches. What did you think about the direction? As somebody who does direct mm. some of these scenes, how, how do you feel it, it's all expanded like that? It's it's okay. The direction is is pretty A to B. You know, you, you, it, it's okay. There's nothing special about director direction at all. I mean, I know it's hard for people to understand if if you really it's hard are to not know what to look for if we're not a director yeah i mean yeah. if you look at if you look at you know if you look at um episodes of columba that spielberg director you can tell that's that's yeah. a real director yeah. if you look at this it's very pedestrian it's just you know if you've got the wide shot you've got the over the shoulder shot she doesn't really or he doesn't really play around with the camera much and stuff like that and you know it's it's it's, it's directed fine you know i can't complain um but um i love how um loads of nods to everything you know I mean, I'm saying that there's a nod to Raiders of Lost Ark here with, with the all ghosts spinning around. Do you remember Raiders of Lost Ark at the ending yeah. with the ghosts spinning around yes. and stuff? Oh, when I first I saw right. that, I was thinking, that's Raiders, isn't it? Scene. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, as I said, this is, this is, this is, this is how, this is the Doctor Who we want. Isn't it? Yes. We want it this. Seems like a, it seems like to me, as somebody who doesn't direct, it seems to me like it's a director <laughs> who is having a lot of fun doing this. He's relishing these moments too. Yeah. Such as when the uh, the human cadavers, when the the gelf enter them and they start yeah. sitting up, you know, and you've got the guy with the great big wiry beard and the mad stare, you know, it's it's all horror tropes. 
all the way through this. But of course, if you're seven or eight years of age yeah, yeah, you're gonna... in 2005, mm. this is the first time you've seen this stuff. Also, mm. I love the idea that they use a child's voice to sucker you in. You know, oh, you use yeah. their child's voice to suck you in to, to to think that they're they're innocent and that they're they're yes, they're you know they yeah. they want the best for the world. And then when it when then when it reveals itself, the child's voice completely goes. Uh, so so that's quite cool. I thought without I, I won't touch on it. Uh, I won't I won't cover it in great depth. But those mm. the elements to this story. Uh, you say using the child's voice and when the true nature of the girl is is revealed that they do want to uh, take over the world you know they are yeah. they have um, they are malevolent they do want to brush away hum- the humanity mm. there was a lot of controversy about this at the time there, there's a writer i don't know if it, either of you have heard of lawrence miles who was a writer on the book range on the doctor who book range in the 90s notorious uh, very, very uh, strong views about all things Doctor Who. And for many people, it's still seen as a crying shame that he's never worked on the show. He wrote a book called Alien Bodies as part of the BBC range for the Eighth Doctor, which is absolutely awesome. It is fantastic. Uh, but he is um, he has a habit through through his blog posting and ideas and essays that are, uh, how can I put this, incendiary. And his yeah. take on this story, he went all in on Mark Gatiss with views about about all the texture and the themes of this story and what he believed it was saying about the subject of of uh, immigration and what Mark mm. Gatiss, and that Mark Gatiss was wow. trying to paint out immigrants <laughs> as being as being evil. I think that Lawrence Miles is way off base. With, I think that's in, a intention, bit of a stretch. It is intention is absolutely everything, and I do not believe that Mark Gatiss intended. I, I think that's a viable subject for a sci-fi story to explore. Mm-hmm. I, I say, I say, if you're watching Chris Chibnall, explore, not give us, not give us a lecture about, it. explore. But in this instance, Mark Gatiss, I don't believe he was anywhere near that. But that's mm. that has kind of dogged this episode in the minds of the fan base ever since. That it, it could be about this, it could be about that, and realistically. Even though there are some complex things that are touched on in this between the Doctor and Rose, I, I, for the most part, I think it is it is largely a romp, and it is Doctor Who. So, of course, the monsters have got to be bad guys, Ian, haven't they? Yeah, I, it, the problem with create, creating stuff um, as a creator myself, and I, you know, as people now have made feature films, it's really funny because when people say stuff like that to you. Either go, yeah, that's what it was all about when it really wasn't, <laughs> or you go, no, that's that's not what I was trying to say, you know. So you know, a lot of people see a lot of different things in a lot of creative works, don't they? So, yeah, and this yeah. guy just sees that, and pretty. Sh- if if Mark Gates says that's not what it was about, then it that's not what it was about. A writer cannot possibly legislate for one of a million ways in which their work may exactly exactly that is, that is on you, Lawrence, or on on any of any of us, any of us out there watching. I was thinking exactly the same thing, Dan, that the the viewer, you know, is, is going to take away his or her own perspective on the episode. Yeah. And if, if they have a particular sensitivity to a particular subject, they might project a little bit of that concern onto a specific episode that maybe wasn't intended to be there. But again, mm. that that's down to the viewer. And I don't think that's really the fault of the of the writer of the no, story. I mean, yeah. if, if Mark had come out after and said, well, yeah, you know, that I did sort of weave that in. I'm, I'm impressed that people picked that up, but he didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like mm-hmm. you said, Dan, it's about intent. 
it's about intent. And when I watched that story on both occasions now, um, I, I that never crossed my mind. Um, mm. I just felt like I was watching a good, spooky, sort of M.R. James-ish classic Christmas tale um, that just had um, had a had a really great balance of of all those different elements. If you take, um, I don't know, um, the Shawshank Redemption, a lot of people say that's the depiction of Christ, don't they? I remember reading about that. They say that, you know, the guy's in jail, then he goes through all the crap and he comes out and he's clean. It's like Christ and all that. And it's like, well, you see what you want to see. You know, it doesn't necessarily say that the writer actually intended to be like that. Do you know what I mean? So this is just the case right here. Well, there may, and there may very well be occasions where either consciously or unconsciously, perhaps they Mm. are projecting some of their own internal thought processes onto their creative work and and that's fair enough but i think as as we said you know it's it's the intent and if if the intent is is to entertain uh and something that that sort of um deep happens Mm. to to transfer itself into the story as long as the story isn't intended to upset people or isn't intended to you know to be overly political then i you know I yeah, yeah. I like to me. mention it was pretty clever that <laughs> that the doctor said to Charles Dickens, "I'm a fan," and he didn't know yes. what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want to cool yourself down or something like? I can't remember what he said, but I thought yeah. it was really, you know, this this the more I think about this episode, the more I think it's one of my favourites out of the Chris Eccleston run. It is very, it's it, and it also I, it's a standalone yeah. thing. Is it stands alone as a Doctor Who episode? It does, and yeah. I've always enjoyed this story. I've never been tempted to skip it. For example, even though yeah. you see, for me, for me, series one and Doctor Who generally, Russell T Davies, his sensibilities with this show, his voice, the balance of scares to thrills, of humour mm. to drama, is exactly to my taste, and I absolutely adore both of the episodes that have come before Rose and uh, the end of the world and the two that come directly afterwards. And this is, so this is sandwiched by two double bills of pure Russell T Davies joy for me. And yeah. so I have always overlooked it a little this time mm. when I watched it, which had been the first time in four or five years, I absolutely loved it really and truly loved it. And I think that although I think the last couple of times I've watched it, I'd watched it on autopilot there was, there was mm. moments and there were elements to the story and the script. And I've, I've seen, you, know, you, and you can see the traces of the things that were peeled away from it. But I think the decisions that they made, all the things that we heard Mark Gatiss talk about earlier on in, in the clip about the Spiritualist Hotel, all that, it's fascinating stuff. But I think that it was all, I think stripping it back to this was really, really wise. Because That's what they do. There's, it yeah. keeps the momentum, yeah. the simplicity of the characters. But for the, it uses that new format of 45 minutes so perfectly. Probably, mm. Mark Gatiss probably uses it more effectively than Russell T Davies does. Mm. Yeah, no. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I, I also love how uh, how the girl for the first the first people, the first characters to yeah. mention the, the, the time war, war by yeah, name, war. even though the doctor mm-hmm. kind of mentioned at the end that they, yeah. they're the ones who call it the time war. So yeah. see the building of, the, of that legend too. Yeah. That's, a, that's a nice touch. The, the fact that, because they, yeah, they are refugees from that time war in the same way that the Autons are 
in in rows, and so the doctors is continuing to mop up. It's I prefer that if they didn't mention the type that that you know didn't didn't because like uh, uh, I guess uh, Moffat gave us the whole time war thing and stuff like that. But looking back, I really do. You know, I keep saying Russell T's. You know, really, really did a really good job on Doctor Who because not knowing what happened in the Time War, spe speculation is uh, and, and and thinking about it is so much more powerful than yeah. actually seeing what actually happened. You know, when you when 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 we didn't know what happened, if you know what I mean. Now I know what happened because Moffat showed us, didn't he? <laughs> so, um, but but yeah. with, with, when we when I first watched this, you can only wonder about the Time War. It must have been spectacular. You know, billions died. You know, the time got 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 yeah. retconned mm. and stuff like that. And you know, it was it was a good thing to have in your mind. It, it's like um, being frightened is like the shadows are more scarier than actually what's in the shadow yeah, if you know what i, I mean that kind of thing yeah and i, I did wonder mm. in, in between the episodes Wendy, and in between the seasons too you know you mm. you do start to imagine what it was like as the as we do meet more and more characters who were either who were survivors of it or were affected by it yeah or or, or uh, mm. uh, people people who are running away from it or, and the doctor mm. lets on more about it and and whilst it probably couldn't remain in that place forever i, th I thought uh, back here in series one watching it again I could almost forget. I was that caught up in this episode, Wendy, that I could almost mm. forget that I'd seen how it how it does play out, and I'd sort of seen yeah. the time war. Even you know, we've seen as you yeah. said, we've seen a lot of this stuff mm. now, and yet I, the, 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 these episodes are are so evocative. Are yes. they cast such a great spell that they they can seduce you all over again in forty minutes flat? That's spot on, Dan. Because I mean, that's what I was thinking when I was watching it. You know, and like you said, we we've actually seen how the rest of this has played out and but as we said earlier that they, they they're really good as one-off stories on their own and and when i was watching this again earlier today i was swept away and i didn't have this feeling of like oh someone's told me the ending to the story or i yeah. already read the book yeah, it's like a book that you can reread yeah. over and over again <laughs> yes and that's the sign of something that has really really touched you and really yep. reached you there's nothing worse than somebody saying, you know, oh, I read that book. This happens at the end. But when you read a book yourself and you get all the way to the end and you think that was so good, I have to re-experience that. And that's what this episode feels like. I didn't even register this when I first saw it. The bit where um, uh, Rose says, um, you lock me in a room with, uh, you know, with zombies. And, oh, God. You know, and, and, and don't don't and, and don't think that I didn't notice your hands were wandering yeah. I, so I was like, I, when I watched it today, I was like, oh, I don't remember her saying that. <laughs> Did they cut yeah. it out when BBC broadcast it? I don't know. Yeah. That's what the character reminds me of somebody like Joe Bell, who was let mm. uh, after Perry the entire time. He was in the right, yeah. <laughs> this is a softer version of the same kind of character. Not, not quite a dirty old man, but probably, you know, if he was given the opportunity, he probably would be. When he kicks the door in, uh, for, for Rose and, and Rose high, obviously scuttles behind the doctor. The two zombies are walking towards it and then the doctor says something like, what do you want? And they stop and they answer him. I don't know whether they, they sense the presence that he was something more than human. That's why they stopped. Most, I don't know why most of they stopped. Yeah, they know that he's not afraid. I think that's a large part of it as well. Yeah. yeah. To me, that's essential. essentially the doctor. You know, they throw because yeah. everybody runs from them, don't they? And stuff like that. So I think... Things like that is essential. Essentially, the Doctor, apart from Dalek, this is Chris Eccleston's 
greatest performance. Yes, he, you know, you you would probably say, oh yeah, the last three he was brilliant in that, but the last three he was overacting, and then you know the 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 the, the um the stakes were higher. But with this mm. one, this is just an ordinary adventure for the Doctor, mm. and Chris Eggleston plays the part beautifully. There are, and there are very mm. few examples of this in mm. in series one, simply because of the way that it, that it was structured, not for better, not for any worse. You know, I. I do, I do think they did the right thing in structuring it as it did. We talked a little bit earlier on about the fact that Charles Dickens is the one who, um, yeah, he comes to the Doctor and Rose's aid, doesn't he? And the whole thing yes. starts to, uh, yeah, he, he recognised the fact that you can draw the gelf out of the human bodies and everybody can sort of gradually make their escape. And it's the kind of solution that is complex enough for you to be mm. a few seconds behind it. And I'd say, what, what? Oh, okay, okay. So you're struggling to keep up. Maybe, but it's not going to leave children behind who are watching. It's yeah. um, you know, you can even if you can't understand it, you can follow it, you can piece it together, you can you can root for Charles mm. Dickens, who by that point we really really like. I forgot to mention the fact that that uh, Mr. Sneed. I wanted to say mm. this when we were talking about him a moment ago. He gets he also gets his neck snapped, and a girl enters him. And for the and for mm. all that this character is quite an unlikable guy. You feel really sorry that he's that he's killed. Well, I did. I don't. I didn't. I thought he was horrible. I I think he is, but I think he's also of his time, and I think he's trying to do in his own mind what he thinks is best. But he isn't. No, he's not. He's not a nice character, and I don't. You know, you don't like the way that he speaks to complex character to Gwyneth. He is complex, exactly. So. I didn't. I didn't find myself like cheering to that degree because I. I think there's been characters that you did want to cheer, you know, when if they didn't quite make it through the episode, you know. <laughs> but um, like you say, he's a complex character, so he didn't um, have an arc though. Everybody no, else he had didn't. an arc. No, he didn't. He, he's no. just oh, there to, to like, yeah, 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 yeah that's true. Facilitate the uh, story. I think he was just there he, to facilitate uh, the story. Yeah, expires for the good of the story. Originally, yeah, he does. Believe it or not. Originally, the character was going to be a much younger man, and uh, Gatiss had a mind to cast David Tennant in the role because they were friends. Oh, holy well, moly! Well, well. That would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been very interesting. They would have had to do a little explanation, like they did with Capaldi, um, how he how terrible. he'd somehow morphed from the character in. Um, they they didn't need to do that. They really didn't need to do that. It's yeah, really it's almost would have been better if they'd left it alone, I exactly. think. Exactly. By this by this point, uh, David Tennant, like Mark Gatiss, was kind of circling Doctor Who. Both mm. had worked extensively for Big Finish Productions. Mark Gatiss has had several novels published for the Virgin New Adventures Doctor Who line, and I think for the BBC line too, BBC books. So uh, mm. th- these were two guys... Looking back, David Tennant was always going to be involved in, in Doctor Who in some capacity or another anyway, I suppose. Uh, the story yeah, reaches its head, as, as happens with a great many Doctor Who stories, most of them with a bloody great big explosion, but not before we've seen uh, Gwyneth mm. make, this, make this sacrifice. She's in, obviously, she's incredibly brave and, and uh, generous and, and trusting of these. She calls them her angels, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she was. She was doomed Tragic. anyway. It's she was tragic. doomed from the start. She saved it. She saved everyone. I mean, Charles. Charles Dickens saved everyone as well. But she was instrumental, wasn't she, in in yeah. in saving them? What I what I loved about her her story, her character arc in the series, mm. is that she, you know, we we don't know a lot about her, but we we obviously just all we know is that she is a product of her time. Um, 
Uh, and yet at the end, you know, she makes this incredible sacrifice. And even though she makes it perhaps thinking slightly wrongly that it's that 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 they're angels or that that it's going to have some connection with her belief system mm -hmm. um she's still very brave and she's quite wise as well which she proves you know um and i and that's what i liked about it she, she you know she isn't just a a sort of two-dimensional character she's you know she has she comes through and and again what we've seen a lot of whose stories is people you know ordinary human beings being brave and and being that little extra special yeah but wendy do you think the doctor lied at the ending though and, I, and the reason why i'm asking you this question and dan the reason why i'm asking mm. you and, and oh. the people's oh, the, the people out there actually dead. I see, I see. yes because right he says the moment she stepped under the arch, she was dead. But yet, yeah. she ha she had the power to actually strike that match for the good of the situation. So was the doctor lying to Rose when he yes, said Yes, it's a good that? point. Was actually, she still in there? Was she still in there? Watching it again today is funny because I did, I did get to that scene Sorry. and I was thinking to myself, how is that mm. happening? How is that working? But perhaps because she was, perhaps because of her her connection to the to the rift energy or something your, your imagination then just sort of wants to fill the gap it's like okay mm. i don't want to i don't want to sort of see too much of a big story hole here but i agree with you i think that that scene i was kind of like okay she's she's dead but she's not which is it you know but i but maybe just thinking about it now maybe um when he says that she was dead immediately when she stepped under the um arch maybe he meant mm -hmm. that she was trapped and there was no way for her to come out that's why yes. she was dead maybe maybe he meant that but it is that a big question isn't it, it? So it's yeah. a huge question to, to yeah. ponder over whether the doctor was lying because was biologically dead but not yeah well that too physically. could be that too yes but yeah, yeah i get where you're coming from um yeah. ian yeah and that, that's mm. a good point and perhaps if they'd had more time to slightly stretch that scene out a little bit longer, they might have been able to sort of quantify that a little bit. And I suppose through the editing process, maybe they, you know, they have but no choice but to. I do like that's that's why this episode is so um, so good and harks back to to the classic era because the Doctor sometimes would go dark, and for me, this is one of these times when he did go dark in my opinion mm -hmm. because he mm -hmm. he was very rude to people and stuff like that and and it's justified because obviously he's suffering from you know the, the the time war and he's just getting over it and he's just getting to trust people and stuff like that so you know as i said this is more classic to me this episode is more classic to me than than new who the actual tone and the story of it with money mm. of course because <laughs> yeah. if this was shot in the 70s it'd just be like one yeah. set and that's it yeah. <laughs> yeah for all all that you say that's got money this began the series uh, fascination which i know this amuses a lot of people out there fascination with cardiff it's it's um, <laughs> the fact that it grounds itself in, in cardiff as a sort of base of operations and, and the this sort this um point of contact with alien races that they name as the rift that we we see get played out not just in doctor who mm. but in torchwood it all begins here so much starts here they start setting the foundations down for doctor who's very first proper spin-off that would actually go mm. to a full yeah. series but the irony is that very little of this 
was actually filmed anywhere near Cardiff. <laughs> it was all filmed in Swansea. Most of it was filmed in Swansea. Apparently, there's hardly any Victoria, Victorian architecture left in Cardiff. And, and yes, yeah, that you, wide shot, don't they, the road, and it does look very Victorian, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a lot of the little, the little courtyards, the, the little areas, I mean, particularly at the, end mm. of the, at the end of the episode, you know, we get, we get mm. a lovely classic sci-fi style wrap-up with, yeah. with, it sort of warms the cockles of your hearts, really. It's mm-hmm. the perfect Christmas episode, wind up, come to think of it. You know, I, I do sometimes watch this at Christmas, but where the, the Doctor and Rose go back to the TARDIS, we get that fun little speech about, what do what is it you do in there exactly, Doctor? Well, you know, a bit of this, a bit of that, whatever else. And uh, we mm-hmm. get a, a knowing a knowing look, a bit of whimsy. And that moment, that moment though, where Charles Dickens asks the Doctor, he says, there's still one question you haven't answered. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, it gives God. me chills. Every yes. something in all of these episodes Wendy, gives for, me gives me the simplest of chills. I felt sorry for Charles Dickens because he was alive, and then next year he's going to be dead. Yes, you know what I mean. Yeah, so it, I just it, felt sorry it, for him. It, it lent mm. a real poignancy to that final scene, and it also reminded me of of the story in Matt's run with um, Van Gogh and Van Gogh. And yeah, how yes. he he let him. He took him back to specifically be able to see mm. that all of his work wasn't for nothing, you know, mm. that he was beloved. And it still chokes me up every time I see that. That, that, that line, isn't it? Story. I yeah. think, it's that, I it's think that line it's... where he goes, sorry, mate, it's just that line where he goes, does my, 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 my stories last? And he goes, how long does it last for? And he goes, forever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's got to that's gotta warm anyone's heart if they're creative, you know what I mean, knowing that. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Now you've yeah. mentioned that episode from from later on. I think that this, I think this is actually better. I think this is nowhere near. I do, I do like the Van Gogh episode, but I think mm. this this is not as mawkish. I think it's it's cleaner. I think Simon Callow plays it better. I think this is better. Yeah, I, I it is. Think. It is better. And that, another thing that you guys probably don't notice is that within every shot that's framed in this episode, the Doctor's always lurking in the background. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Yes. Yeah. So, so, like for instance, when Rose is is uh, trying to um, revive um, Gwyneth in the back, when you see the Doctor just leaning up against the wall, he's always lurking in the background because he's the man that knows more than anyone in the room. <laughs> he knows. He knows, when he, knows. <laughs> he knows when something is futile. Yes, and, but he's got, exactly. and, and he's not going to say to Rose, look, you're wasting your time. He knows she yeah. needs to find that out for herself. Yes. She needs yes. to physically do something or explore something mm. psychologically, see something through to its natural conclusion, and he will be there for her afterwards to help her come to terms with what she's just seen, what, mm. she's, what she's just mentally processing however you want to look at it because yeah. because he is another form of life he's lived for a lot longer and his his duty of care to her extends beyond a radius mm. that, that she can possibly understand it's something that only he knows yeah yeah well he's got he's got the universe in his head isn't he he knows every i, I yeah. i'm guessing now he knows every uh well as much as he explored he knows more than any Again, he knows more than anyone in the room, what can I yeah. say? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what I like about Doctor most of all. Watching these episodes again, you know, see, mm. seeing Billy Piper in this character again makes me remember why I liked her so much then. I mean, I, I still like her now, but I, I, yeah. I watch less of what she does. And yeah. I think I'd forgotten how relatable she was in this part, how timely Absolutely. it all was. The, the yes. one thing with with Billy's um, 
portrayal of Rose is I, if I had to pick uh, a season um, where I preferred her portrayal over, let's say, a different season, I still prefer, my favorite is the this this first run uh, mm. with Eccleston. And I thought she and, and David Tennant had a fantastic chemistry as well. But they mm-hmm. had their own. They had their own chemistry. It was very different the, yeah. to the chemistry that yeah. she had with Chris, um, and I, that's my favorite uh, because it it it's, it was still quite new. It was still um, quite raw, and they both played very well against each other. I thought, mm-hmm. uh, and I liked the way Billy was coming across. The se- the, the, the the following season, she was, and and again. We have seen this with other companions further down the line as well. They get a little bit cocky. They get a little bit too <laughs> overconfident. Mm. Some things sometimes happen. So, uh, but I, I do prefer that first that first season. I think. Yeah, and and as I said, I think Chris, it, more so than the other two episodes, is the Doctor in this one. In my opinion, uh, I just love his performance in this. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't silly. It wasn't. He wasn't trying to crack jokes. He was just mm-hmm. being the doctor. Yes, he was unnecessarily rude, but we understand now why he was. Mm-hmm. But you can't fault him in this episode at all, yeah. at all. Yeah. You know. Let's uh, well, let's take a look. Firstly, I think at the ratings for this episode, the overnights were eight point three million, with the consolidated figure going up. Wow, to 8. it's not bad. Six million. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. week three as well. The audience share they got thirty seven percent of the entire audience share of the people who are watching TV at that moment wow. and the audience appreciation index figure was uh, was a strong 80. There were some uh, criticisms from parents, understandably, I suppose, and probably predictably, who felt that this was <laughs> too scary for their young children. But the BBC, they dismissed those complaints on the of ground. Of course, that it was quite never rightly really, so. Never really intended yeah. for really, really young children. They'd gone to great lengths, and the BBC had gone. They had at this point in mm. 2005. They'd gone gr- gone to great lengths to make sure yeah. that the target audience knew who they were, and that this was for the entire family to watch together. So I, I actually agree with the BBC doing that. I think parents judge their kids by what they experienced when they were younger, but what they don't realise is that kids know more than they ever did when they were that age. So kids are far more, um, you know, far more uh, braver and far more understanding when it comes mm. to things like horror on screen and TV and stuff like that. As long as it's not too horrific, kids yeah. kids will just laugh it off. Also, yeah. um, you know, when all the gas was happening and obviously Rose was h- hiding her mouth and so was Charles, but the doctor wasn't. That means say he's not affected by stuff like that, by gas, by air or different lungs he's got, maybe he's got two lungs this is where the classic fan steps in this is yeah. uh, i don't know if they mentioned this much in the new mm. series but he's got a binary vascular system i see okay there we go so he will last a little bit longer than us okay. so yeah people are generally i think pretty upbeat about this episode it was not exactly a revelation to me but it was certainly a lot lot more enjoyable than i remembered but ian Mm. this is the point where we have to give adjudication my friend (laughs) (laughs) so what i want to know is how many rattling cadavers would you give this out of five this episode uh i'd give this one a four i wouldn't give it a five because nothing's perfect right you know four is is a a really good um grade to give it in my opinion i'm gonna be good cop i'm gonna give it five 
time uh. given time <laughs> because of how it made me feel because um you know i want a christmas episode to leave me you know to, to be a little bit of a roller coaster but just leave me feeling yes. really positive at the end and and Absolutely. i think i think it it definitely did that i'm going to go for a healthy four out of five yeah okay. uh, for everything that i said about it earlier on i think yeah i put it level pegging with rose but I think the end of the world still has it for me. There's something about that story. <laughs> oh, really? And, and yet, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm struggling to think of any ways in which this could have been better. So maybe I should give it a five. Oh, yeah, no, yes, you it's know what? Tough. I'm going to change my vote. I'm going to give it a five. Out of five. I'm going to give it a five out of five as well. I'm going to be good, as good as my word because I sincerely can't think of any way in which, in which this could have been bettered. Watching all three of these stories one after the other like this as as people have said it, it kind of has a similar function to an unearthly child the daleks mm. and the edge of destruction back in the classic show this sets everything up it completes the picture if you like and wraps mm. up wraps up an arc because when this closes out and the doctor and rose they disappear leaving charles dickens wandering off in the snow like that we have every reason to believe that everything that we've seen up until this point happens in really close uh, proximity, like one event after another after another. Mm. And from this point, from when they, when they dematerialize until when we next see them, we don't know necessarily how long it could be for the Doctor and Rose. And as a trilogy of stories, if you episode. like... The next episode. And, if, and regardless, and regardless of um, of where the series goes afterwards, and you know what, even if they'd have just have made these three as a yeah. as a shot to say, okay, as a test, to, I'm glad they made thirteen. I'm glad they really went yeah. with it, went with it fully. But if they'd have just put these three out just to see, just to test the ground, I think that Doctor Who would have still have been a success, and I think that people would have still have, have um, latched onto it, and it would have st mm. still have been back, back, because all of the parts, all of the working parts are here, they're thriving, they're mm. connecting with the audience. I think it's absolutely wonderful stuff, and I'm so, so pleased we set about watching these. So, yes, yeah, Series 1 of Doctor Who is available Yay. on both DVD and Blu-ray in a steelbook and standard packaging. You can also watch it on BritBox, I understand still, and Series 1 is currently up on the iPlayer. I think, I think it's, it's on uh, Sky as well, I think. A limited view. Is, that, is that right, Ian? It's definitely yeah, it's on, on Sky, Sky as well. Yep. So there yep. are multiple places that you can go back and re-watch, not just The Unquiet Dead, but all of Series 1 too, if you wish, particularly in light of the fact that uh, the man, the governor, the boss... The, the man, Russell the myth, the legend. Davis. Yes, he's back in the room. The adults are back in the room. And Woo! all new Doctor Who with Russell T. Davies is on the way. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that is the old girl starting up and calling time on this trip in the TARDIS. But I'll be back with another Type 40 soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home feed for Type 40. Type40.podbean.com or on Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, now on Podbay 2. I've got, it, got us onto Podbay and Audible. So we're getting new podcatchers coming along, joining the Type 40 party, the Type 40's trip of a lifetime, almost by the week. You can still find us on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's own master feed, loaded up with all those other treats for your ears. If you'd like to get in touch and have your say, you can reach out to us on social media, Instagram or Twitter, at type 40 Doctor Who, or you can email, email us 
whether you think we've got it all right or all wrong, or you just want to comment or suggest things for future shows, email us, type 4 to Doctor Who at gmail.com. And if you're feeling really, really brave, you can join us over on Facebook in the Type 40 Facebook group. Lots and lots of companions and friends sharing both the new series and the classic series and talking about the exciting things that may be coming in the future and probably talking about the things they want to pop on their Christmas list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that wrapped up. Ian, where can people get in touch with you on social media and uh, see whatever what other things you're up to? The Rebecca Gold channel, um, which is my web series. Go and watch that. Uh, just type in Rebecca Gold into YouTube and you'll find me. I'm on Twitter at Ian David Diaz, the mega geek. Well, it's just Ian David Diaz, actually, at Ian David Diaz. So, yeah, you can you can talk to me on there. I, I put up silly comments. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. Um, <laughs> I have my show reel. You can watch my show reel on, on the Rebecca Gold channel as well. So there you go. That's me. How about you, Wendy? Where can people hear or see more of you? Ah, well, first of all, I just want to say definitely go check out Ian's web series because it's awesome. Uh, he didn't pay me to say that. Exactly. Um, you get money tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on Twitter, I'm uh, at Wendology1 on uh, Twitter, which is pretty much my main social media hub. So. Easy enough, you can find us all. You can catch up with me on Twitter or Instagram as the Spacebook, where I'm uh, wheezing and groaning and posting about whatever catches my <laughs> eye. My imagination of both in popular culture, inside and outside of the TARDIS. Yes, occasionally I do watch and talk about things other than Doctor Who. But, uh, yeah, thanks to everybody out there for listening. We always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40. But yeah, enjoy the rest of your week. 